Hello and welcome to It's All Relative. I'm your host, historian and writer Dr Eliza Philby, taking a light-hearted look at the generation gap. Each episode, I shall be interviewing two guests from different generations of the same famous family to discuss their contrasting lives, experiences and values. This episode, we are fortunate to have with us a mother and daughter whose family story is nothing short of inspirational. One that will smash any preconceptions that you may have on what a beauty influencer looks like. Trisha Cusden was 65, a grandmother, and with a very successful career behind her when she decided to take the plunge and set up her own online beauty business. Look Fabulous Forever was founded in 2013, born out of a desire to tackle the inherent ageism within the beauty industry by creating makeup and skincare for the mature woman. Trisha started by doing makeup tutorials on her friends on YouTube and quickly amassed a loyal community who had committed to her products. She now has over 7 million views to date. A year into the business, her daughter Anna decided to join the team and is now managing director of a female-led family business that crosses the generations. And for that reason, I can think of no better or more appropriate guests onto this podcast. Trisha and Anna, welcome to It's All Relative. Hi there. <laughs> nice introduction. Trisha, I wonder if we could start with you. You have such an inspirational story to tell about starting this business in your 60s. I wonder if you could take us through that journey. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so at 65, I was semi-retired, really, and uh, I was thinking about what I would do with the rest of my life. I kept thinking I might uh, live for another 30 years. Um, on the other hand, I might die tomorrow, you know. So I had this idea in my head that I've always loved makeup. I actually quite like the idea of starting something new because I've, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. And um, I really, really didn't like the way that the beauty industry was speaking to me and treating me. So I just kept thinking, I could do better than this. I could I could make better products. I could make products which would be um, more successfully used on an older skin. And I could tell a different story about aging via by, via makeup. So I set up Look Fabulous Forever, basically. Brilliant. And and why do you think so many women of your age are deciding to take the plunge? Well, I, I think the fact that we are so we are aging in such a different way from our mothers and grandmothers. Um, I mean, for a start, mothers and grandmothers are out from you know my generation didn't tend to work, mm. so they didn't actually have that uh, that background of thinking of themselves as continuing to work and being entrepreneurial and so on. Not to the same extent that uh, that my generation has. I think that that's it's because we're aging so differently that that probably women of my age are still they're still so active and so, so st still so engaged with um with the world in general you know and the world in business as well you're part of that generation where there was still prevailing expectations around marriage and motherhood dominating your 20s and 30s can you talk a little bit about how that kind of shaped the sort of first sort of half of your life uh, yes, because I was a very traditional from that point of view. I got married when I was 22. Um, I had Anna when I was 26 and my other daughter when I was 30. I stayed at home and looked after them for 12 years. So I didn't have a, my first proper job was when I was 38. So I was very late really into the world of work, but I always knew that I would 
enter the world of work. I was quite ambitious. And to be honest with you, when I was at home looking after the children, I felt that I was just waiting for, for the time to be right for me to be able to enter um, the labour market and uh, and be able to realise some of the ambi- ambitions that I had. So I, I feel I have done everything quite late in my life. So if you you know if you don't go go into work until you're 38 properly, then reaching 65 and feeling that you haven't finished yet, um, I think is quite um, you know it's not surprising in a way uh, because at 65 I still felt enormously enthusiastic and energetic, and I just saw no reason to stop at that point. It's funny because, you know, Anna, you're in your 40s now, your generation, I think, of women felt a real pressure to kind of get to a certain stage in their career and then be allowed to have babies. Did you feel feel a, a very different sort of pathway into to motherhood than your own mother? Definitely. I think, I, I mean, I married someone I met at university, but had I got married as soon as I graduated when I was when I was 22, you know, my mum's age, I think you would have been quite horrified. <laughs> So I think yeah, if I got married at 22 and then had a baby when I was 25 or, you know, I think you would have felt a bit like, well, what was the point of that? Going through three years at university and, um, you know, after university, I worked abroad and learned Italian and, and then I came back and worked in London. I mean, I wasn't on a kind of career path as such. I didn't work in a large corporate. I worked first in an art gallery and then I worked in a PR agency. Um, so when I did eventually have my children, I had my um, well, I I had my children when I was 34 and 36. Um, but I, th- I think by that stage, I had been working for um, 10 years and I, I felt ready to have a break. I didn't feel too worried about going back to work, having had the children and having slipped down a career ladder. I, I kind of went back actually as a freelancer into PR and had more control over the hours I worked and the clients I took on. Um, so I think I had a lot more freedom and a lot more flexibility than my than my mum did. And I had a lot more choices. You know, for my twen- most of my 20s, I, I did work, but I, I can't say I was really sweating it in a... <laughs> In a large organisation, I was having quite a lot of fun, you know, doing more or less what I wanted to do all the time. So I, I felt very lucky to have that opportunity. And 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 so then, what made you sort of take the decision to join the family business? Well, I I got to the age I was nearly turning forty, and I had gone back into a PR agency. Um, I had two small children at home, and funny enough, I found the pressure then to too much I felt like balancing the needs of the children and the needs of I was working in an agency with some quite important clients and they really only wanted coverage in some you know in places like the FT and if I didn't get that coverage then there was a lot of pressure and I just felt like I was too I felt too old for that kind of role most of the people in the PR agency were in their late 20s and I felt a kind of um, age gap opening up then and I I looked at what my mum was doing and I could see this sort of green shoots of uh, a very successful business and also I knew there was a great story in there of an older entrepreneur taking on the beauty industry so I feel when I joined the business there was sort of like a smoking bonfire and I was able to fan the flames and and really kind of um, explode it and, and bring it to a much bigger audience than the one that it, you know, it might have reached otherwise. Do you feel that, and this is a question to both of you really, do you feel that there's a, a definite feel of a multi-generational environment there? Is there a sort of generation gap or is there a sort of real bridging of the generational attitudes towards beauty and what business looks like? 
I, I feel enormously privileged to be working with the team that we've got because we've we've actually got got people we're a team of 10 but we've got people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s and 60s and I'm 73 and it's it's absolutely brilliant for me to have daily contact with with people across the generations because I think one of the worst things about getting um, older is that you that you only meet up with talk to mix with and um, exchange ideas ideas with people of your own age and honestly I can't think of anything worse um, <laughs> why is that what's what's wrong with your generation Trisha I have to be very careful because I don't know who might be listening to this podcast <laughs> I've got some lovely lovely friends but I don't want to speak you know people in their 70s have a particular way of seeing the world and I don't want to have my own thoughts and ideas bounce back to me I I, I you know i Yesterday, when we were on the the team call, we were talking about um, what we were watching and stuff. It was we had a bit of a conversation, and two or three of them are into Squid Game, and um, I know about that because I was round at Anna's on Sunday, and I'm now now thinking I think I might watch that just so that I know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, I do very much doubt that my friends are watching Squid Game. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, Trisha, you're down with the kids. My goodness. <laughs> It's a very definition of a youthful mindset, isn't it? Is that constant desire to move outside your comfort zone and engage particularly with uh, different generations. I found Trisha's attitude quite refreshing here. I think it's striking how in the workplace we find it much easier to be friends with someone, say, of a different race, gender or sexuality than of someone of a different age. And yet of all the differences, it's the one we should be most empathetic to. Because we are all young once, and we all get older. Next, I wanted to ask Trisha about how she became a beauty influencer in her 60s. Now, grand influencers with millions of followers on social media are not as uncommon as you might think. Just look up Joan McDonald on Instagram, or old gays on TikTok. Phenomenons. Trisha, you, you really, I think, have broken new ground in, in becoming, I'm going to call you a beauty influencer. You're so much more than that, but I am going to label you that because I think people's preconceptions of what an influencer looks like are obviously uh, quite distinct. You know, you think of those in their 20s, those Generation Zs on YouTube doing makeup video tutorials from their bedrooms. There was a very very sort of serendipitous aspect to um, to the first videos that we made. I was very comfortable with video um, and I thought this is a brilliant medium for makeup because makeup's very visual. I, I managed to get a couple of the my oldest friends actually to appear in the videos and I was absolutely gobsmacked when they took off on YouTube. I didn't expect it to happen because I'm not famous. They did actually take off in the most satisfying way and it was that that you know, Anna could see this happening. And it was, I suppose, to a certain extent, it was that that she could come into the business and start to exploit. Yeah, I think it was sort of pointing to signs of traction saying that we've got a real, we've got a real business that's got some real interest there. And I think I remember saying to you, you need to be on Facebook. And at the time you weren't on Facebook, you didn't really, you know, you didn't use it, didn't really know what it was. But we got you set up and it was a Look Fabulous Forever page. And Trisha quickly started posting about things that she was interested in. Whenever we did a post about makeup, it sort of died a death. No one was interested. But when she posted about things like Angela Ripplin wearing leather trousers at the age of 70, or there was a picture of Jane Fonda, no, it was Diane Keaton having been airbrushed 
for a L'Oreal ad and she posted something about that and these posts had huge sort of viral traction that actually is quite hard to replicate these days but back in the good old days of 2014 mm-hmm. you could do you could do that on Facebook and um it was a really great way of us to reach people very cheaply because we had no money for marketing and I taught myself how to do um sort of sponsored Facebook posts to get likes for the you know likes on the page and all that kind of stuff so it was really it was really enormously helpful to have those digital tools at at our disposal that would have made setting up this kind of business 20 years ago much harder and it would stay the kind of local face-to-face selling business that that Trisha imagined in the beginning and then it morphed into something completely different one of the things that's I think striking is 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 those definitions and visions of beauty and indeed use of makeup are really generationally specific. How do you think, um, Anna, your understanding of makeup um, and and perhaps you and your generation sort of are, are different from your mother's generation and indeed your grandmother's generation? I think we're less formal about things. I think in in my mum's generation, I think in that when COVID hit, that was very interesting to see. You know, we kept on selling lipsticks to a group of women that were stuck at home and that couldn't go out. And it, there is a sort of self-affirmation, a kind of, I'm still worth it. I'm still going to put this lipstick on, even if I'm just walking the dog, that I don't think my generation has as much. So why, why is that? Because I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot, particularly um, sort of women in their sort of 30s and 40s have enjoyed lockdown primarily because they could spend you know their days in elasticated waists and no bra why do you think we're much more relaxed around um and less formal in in our makeup I came of age in the 1960s I mean I went um I came up to towns I lived in Suffolk it's a real backwater you know small town but my friend and I got uh, the train up to London and we went to Leonard which was a which was one of these really really trendy hairdressers it was in Grosvenor Square and you know they treated you like dirt you went in there and you almost had to beg them to cut your hair and then they charged you a fortune for it so um, it was a really weird thing but your hair then you came out and you had this amazing haircut and the transformation was phenomenal and I think it's just the fact that more and more women are working longer and longer hours meant has meant we've enjoyed that that period in our lives when we can sit at home in our pajamas or a onesie and not have any makeup on or blow dry our hair yeah I just think expectations are completely different and my husband would never expect me to you know look a certain way or put a certain level of makeup on or please him in any way in that you know I suppose beauty is one area but parenting is as well where there's a real sort of generational divide how does how does parent your parenting style Anna differ or perhaps chime um with your your mother's um do you feel like there's a generational difference in your priorities as a mother and your experience as a mother I think there is a difference in that I came to it much later so I think I was sort of prepared to enjoy it more and yeah to enjoy it and I think when you were um, you know looking after young children I think you were quite frustrated and mm. annoyed by it and bored by it so I think there was there was that going on I think I enjoyed it more and funny enough mum spent a lot of time with me when my children were very young babies to make sure that I didn't get bored and got you know got the wall and get postnatal depression so you know she came around every day at sort of four o'clock with you know, for a cup of tea and a chat and we'd sit and watch um, Deal or No Deal. Yeah, we had to go that my, my youngest son's first words were going to be Deal or No Deal. 
and she offered to babysit when Patrick was only a few weeks old and um, I think she was very aware of not feeling, not wanting me to feel the way she felt when she was quite isolated at home with young children and my father travelled for work and it's, you know, so she was at home a lot alone. Um, so I think I had the luxury of enjoying it more than you did. Yeah, I, I think that's completely true. I, I, there was an expectation that I would get married at 22 and have children. Um, it was a completely given script that I got from my parents and from society in general. And I followed that script to the letter and produced the two children. But I really, really resented a lot of that time that I spent and it's a it's a terrible thing to say and I you know I hope Anna doesn't take this the wrong way but had I lived had I been born in a different generation a later generation I wonder if I ever would have had children I think I've got a horrible feeling that I was so ambitious and I was so determined to uh, prove myself in you know out there in the world that I would have put off parenting put, I would probably have put off marriage put off having children and I could I could well have ended up at the age that I am now um, having never married and never had children and I just feel like Thank God I was in that situation where it was societally unacceptable for me to do that. It was it was an absolute given that I would get married and have children because I absolutely love everything about being a mother and a grandmother now, but I didn't to begin with. Mm. And uh, I was a very I, I was in I was such a, a an impatient mother in so many ways and I just couldn't wait for them to become independent I just I just couldn't wait for them to um basically leave home <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say but I, I Anna's right to say that since then because I, I think I, I look back on that with some regret that I have tried to compensate for that now by being a much better grandmother and a much kinder person than I was when I was younger I, I don't think I was very kind when I was younger and I I do now work a lot harder at being kinder and therefore understanding what it feels like to have children and to have your wings clipped in the way that they are it's mm, mm, a very um, brave and honest admission Hearing Trisha, it is striking and perhaps obvious to say that the age at which you have children really does have a different impact on women as opposed to men. And this is particularly true, I think, for baby boomer women who were still expected to have babies young and be married by a certain age, but lived through a time when new opportunities were opening up. Trisha's story certainly reflects this shift, but it's also demonstrated in the statistics, which reveal record number of boomer women now divorcing their husbands later in life and starting new businesses, as Trisha has done, but also gaining financial independence that they never had. Likewise, we're also seeing the gradual social acceptance and rise of child-free younger women. And now for a little ad break. It's All Relative is sponsored by Acorn Aperitifs, the delicious non-alcoholic spritz range made from botanical herbs and natural flavours. Now, I can personally vouch for just how delicious acorn drinks are. Last April, during the first lockdown, I was hot, 
tired and bloated because I was six months pregnant and at the time a little peeved with my husband who decided to introduce an evening cocktail ritual which was admittedly much needed after a day on Zoom. While he embraced his inner Don Draper with his shaken martinis, I sipped somewhat resentfully on my low-grade cordial. Then I discovered bitter acorn. So I like to mix mine with tonic water and a squeeze of lemon served in a very chilled cocktail glass. And this became my third trimester evening ritual which saw me through the first lockdown, the birth of my daughter, the second lockdown and well afterwards because even though now I can technically enjoy alcohol, acorn bitter is my go-to aperitif. And yes, I even managed to persuade my husband to occasionally ditch his martini for an acorn. So whether you're cutting down or cutting out in lockdown or set free, try acorn, your 100% natural non-alcoholic aperitif. Next, I wanted to ask them both about what they thought of ageism as the last acceptable prejudice in society. Polling by YouGov has found that 36% of the over 55s have felt disadvantaged at work because of their age. And more than a third of Britons have admitted to ageism in the workplace. I would say, no, I haven't. I haven't been subject personally to uh, particular ageism, certainly through uh, what I want to do with the business. Um, that hasn't been an issue for me. But I do see and feel, you know, all the time. I pick up on things uh, that are ageist. Um, when you are the age that I am, you see it and uh, hear it. And, and it is really quite subliminal. It's quite below the line. Uh, I mean, don't forget, I came through the 70s and, and all that was happening around women in the workplace. And um, I started back at work or started work properly in the 1980s and really had to combat some very serious sexism and misogyny at work. Um, and that has, I think that's changed enormously. People do know what they're saying and what they're doing now around um, comments about women and stuff. Um, whereas with, with old age, there is still a huge amount of ageism that happens that nobody bats an eyelid at. Um, they just don't because it's it's the way it is and it, it's seen as somehow acceptable um, to 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 do that. I mean, for instance, when Joe, Joe Biden was um, was elected, mm. uh, you know, a, a very old man, the, some of the comments that the comics then felt able to make about him were appalling and nobody said anything. You know, nobody said, well, hang on a minute, that's that's just not acceptable. But had they been saying that in a misogynistic way, then somebody would have called them out. So that, that's just one example, and I could give you many others. Um, you, you said, is it getting better? There are, there are certain signs that there is, a, there is a certain degree of awareness creeping in, possibly. I mean, and I'm doing my level best to combat, uh, you know, the no those notions that I find where, I, where and when I find them to speak up. And presumably the beauty industry is waking up gradually to the purchasing power, at the very least, of, of older women. And, and you know, I am seeing signs of, of, of more diverse um, advertising and, and a recognition of the importance that women place on self-care in their later years. Is there, do you get a sense that, that your demographic is being taken more seriously in the beauty industry? I think so. Uh, there are signs of it. They still pay lip service to it and they still do it through the tropes of, you know, hiring Helen Mirren 
um, and Jane Fonda. I mean, it's like there are only two women in the world who can be beautiful in the beauty space. You know, Helen Mirren and, and Jane Fonda are the two and they are the only two on the planet. They've both been signed up by L'Oreal, uh, which, which I resent hugely. Why is that? The implication is you can only age in a certain way. Now, Jane Fonda's had a massive work done. You know, she's the first to admit it. So for a start, you've got one icon who is totally altered um, and is no, you know, doesn't look anything like she would do. She hadn't had all that work done. Helen Mirren less so. Helen Mirren is quite an interesting choice in lots of ways uh, because she's a rebel and also because she... Uh, she says it like it is in, in she's very honest as well. And so I think she it's, she's quite a dangerous person for them to have chosen. And they've chosen her because of the way she looks. Yeah, but also because she was the go-to sexy older woman. Yeah. Because mm. she was the one that would wear a bikini and still has got a great figure. She's an example of an older woman who can still be sexy. Anna's right. She was the acceptable face of an older woman because uh, men still fancied her. Shock horror. You know, they don't yeah, usually, yeah. but they yeah. do still fancy her. Well, I can take positives and see room for challenge on that front. So let me just uh, finish up our interview by having what I call the quick fire round, where I ask you about your firsts that defined you in your youth. So can you both tell me what was your first job and what did you get paid? So my first job, I was a school teacher, primary school teacher, which is what I was qualified to do um, when I was 21. And I was paid £100 a month. £100 a month, my goodness. £25 a week, yeah. Anna? I worked in an art gallery in, in central London, um, and I was paid £14,000 a year. Well, that was that was pretty good. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Okay. Um, what was your first music purchase, and in what format? My first music purchase was um, Scylla Black singing Anyone Who Had a Heart, I had a dance set record player, so it was a it was actually vinyl that I bought, and I I used to put it on with the arm off so that it constantly repeated, and when so when I bought it, I just played it over and over <laughs> and over again to the extent that my my parents were practically at screaming pitch. <laughs> That's fantastic. You can hear it throughout the house, and my mother said, yeah. "If you play that record once more, I'm literally going to bash it over your head." <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And Anna? I bought Hunting High and Low by Aha. <laughs> and uh, I bought it as a vinyl. We had a record player in our playroom. And um, I think my sister and I used to do dance displays regularly. I'm not sure if we did it at Hunting, Hunting High and Low, but um, we do it to things like Fame and um, the Starlight Express um, <laughs> music. Yeah. Oh, dance displays before the age of TikTok. Like when, yeah, <laughs> no one saw video. them. Yeah, no one saw them, which was probably a good thing. And and where was your first holiday without your parents? My my first holiday without my parents was to it was in Cornwall. So I'd met this uh, this boy who ultimately became my husband, who I divorced twenty years later, and. Um, so they, it was a group of friends, uh, his friends, and um, I went with them and they camped, the boys camped in tents and we stayed in bed and breakfast. It was all very innocent. Oh, um, I mean, I was, I was only 15 and a half at the time. Was that enforced segregation or, or was it? No, I, I think it was what we told our parents we were going to do. I mean, I can't say that we stayed out of these tents all the time. So, right, um, okay. <laughs> okay, enough information on that front. And Anna? <laughs> Um, I went to Wales, North Wales, 
to a cottage with some friends from school when I was 16. And um, it was in the middle of nowhere. We drank Cinzano and lemonade. And I remember there being a dodgy man on the beach one day, and that was about it. <laughs> like some kind of local pervert showed up. But, um... Perverts and Cinzano sounds very much like my youth as well. Brilliant. Well, listen, a final question I have is you are both products of the 20th century. If you could give one piece of advice to your children and grandchildren, of course, as they try and navigate the 21st century, what would it be? I would say... Um don't worry, it will be okay in the sense that uh, it will work out. When you're younger, you feel like you've got no time and you've got to get on and do this, that and the other. And you've got loads and loads and loads of time and don't worry about it. I think my advice, my boys spend a lot of time in the virtual world, just their generation. They're on TikTok, they're, on, you know, they're gaming. They're, and I think it's just not to forget the value of face-to-face, you know, being with people in real life. And um, I think that's something you just can't underestimate enough, the value of just being outside with your mates and mucking around and having a good time and not spending every hour on, uh, you know, in the bedroom on a phone. (laughs) Yeah, keep it real. Keep it in the real world. Trisha and Anna, thank you so much um, for being so forthcoming and honest and open on It's All Relative. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you, Eliza. Thank you to Trisha and Anna there, and thank you for listening. For more of my content and research into the generational change, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at Eliza Philby. And if you're super keen, why don't you subscribe to my newsletter at www.elizaphilby.com, where your name will be entered into a prize draw where you'll have a chance to win some impressive Acorn goodies. I look forward to you all tuning in for the next episode of It's All Relative.